Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. This has been an amazing weekend for me. You know, for some of you have been here a long time, you know that I've been working through a voice issue. I hurt my voice uh, about five years ago, actually this month, and, and thank you for your ongoing prayers. They're continuing to look for uh, searches, and my current thing was on Friday, I went, kind of, they put me under anesthesia, they put a microchip in my esophagus to wear for a few days. <laughs> yes, and so I have a belt pack that's communicating with my esophagus as we speak, and so I'm just hoping that with my microphone on the other side, <laughs> that I don't blow up in the midst of this uh, service. <laughs> so, like, I'm, they're about to put me, I'm under, uh, one more question, uh, can I speak with a microphone? Because I need to speak Saturday night. And so, okay, yeah, we think that'll be all right. So we'll, we'll find out. So far, so good. Uh, anyway, it's good to be with you. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Church of Rocky Peak. And so if you're here for the very first time, special welcome to you. We're just really glad you're here. And we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. Inside your program is a message note sheet we use every week. So I encourage you to take that out. You'll be able to follow along. If you guys are all set, I'm set. You ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just excited about what you're doing here at our church and, and just the way you're moving, the way you're shaking things up, the way you're calling us deeper, the way you're, you're speaking to us and calling us on to, to really follow you in a way that transforms our life and uses us to change the world around us. And so today as we continue this series, we pray you'd meet, we pray meet with us, we pray you'd speak uh, through me, pray that you'd empower me, my voice, pray that you would give all of us ears to hear. We just gather around your word to hear what you would say to us today. And that as a result, as we leave, we'd be different people, really taking that next step in our journey. And we pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today about five years ago. And, and a lot of you know J.D. Cunningham. He's our worship pastor here. And uh, yeah, he's an awesome guy. And so J.D. and I were in this long process of kind of the interview process of deciding if he was the one God was calling here to Rocky Peak. And so in the midst of this thing, there's this conference going on down in Atlanta. And, and so it was a really cool conference. So I call him up and say, hey, there's this cool conference. Let's check it out. Would you like to go down there together? It's just kind of a chance to hang out, get to know each other as we're in this process. And so he said, yeah, he would love to do that. And so uh, the time comes. And so so I, I'm flying, of course, out of LAX, and he's flying out of Dallas. And so we're going to meet there in Atlanta. And so my flight goes without a hitch. I, I get into Atlanta about 12, 1 in the afternoon, pick up rental car, head to the hotel, check in. But I get a call from him that he is stuck in Dallas because they have this, all these uh, thunderstorms going on. And so he is stuck there. He's going to get out as soon as he can. Hopefully that will open up. And so our one hour stretches into the next. And pretty soon it's five hours, six hours. So it's about 9 o'clock at night now. He is still stuck in Dallas, but he thinks he's going to get out. Out, but it's not looking like if he does get out, he's going to get in about one or two in the morning, right? So, so now my heart's going out for him. Like, this is crazy. He's been sitting in Dallas all day long in this airport. He's going to be flying in. He's got to get a taxi cab in from uh, the Atlanta airport, uh, come to this hotel where we're staying. It's a beautiful It's a beautiful hotel. You know, the marble, the wood. It's just a high rise, beautiful, beautiful hotel in Atlanta. So I decide, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down and check him into his room. We're getting separate rooms. So I was going to check him into his room so that when he arrives, he could just go right to bed. He doesn't have to kind of go through the mess, credit card, all that kind of stuff. And so I, I head down there about nine o'clock at night, kind of picture this big lobby, you know, marble, wood, you know, sky rising, beautiful lobby, head down there to the, to the desk. And I say to, the, uh, to the, the person that's helping me at the front, I say, hey, I'd like to check in my buddies, coming in late, got, got stuck in Dallas. And so if you could just, uh, uh, here's, here's a credit card, let's get a pay for it. I'd like to pay for it. What's his name? J.D. Cunningham. So he looks him up and he says, uh, I'm sorry, but we don't have a room for him. 
And I'm like, what do you mean you don't have a room for him? I personally reserved this room you know, a month or two ago. I've got the confirmation number. I don't have a room. What do you mean you don't have a room for him? Well, we actually do have a room for him, but, but it's at a different hotel about six blocks away. And I'm like, are, are you serious? And I'm just thinking now. It's just going through my mind, right? It's like he gets in at one or two in the morning. He's going to take a taxi to the hotel. Then they're going to tell him that this is the wrong hotel. You can't stay here. You've got to get in another shuttle bus. That'll be coming, what, 15 minutes or half an hour. We'll get you over to this other place, get you checked in there. It's going to be two or three in the morning. He's get up at like six or seven. So we go to this conference. He's going to wake up at a different hotel. Call me, Mike. I'm not there. I'm in a different hotel. And, and, and so we're going to have to re, you know, reconvene, find each other, and then get to you know, pick him up. And it's like, this is is crazy. And so I said, what do you mean you don't have a room? And he says, well, we, we don't have a room. And so, so I said, <laughs> well, today we're uh, continuing our, uh, our series that we've been in, what, just last week. It's a brand new series called The Power and the Pain, God and the Hard Times. And and for those of you who are brand new, a special welcome. We're glad you're here. But this is a series, we, we started talking about this last week. It's a series based on a letter from a man named the Apostle Paul to uh, a church that he had actually started about five years before in the southern part of Greece, uh, in a, a major international city called Corinth. It's still there today. And so he, he launched this, um, but this church was now going through some major problems. And one of the biggest problems is that there were some false teachers that had come into the church who were undermining his credibility and authority and questioning whether he was a true apostle, whether he was really hand-chosen by Jesus to speak for his authority. And, and so uh, one of the reasons we talked about this last week, they are questioning this, was that Paul's life was always a mess. We talked about this, like he's, always, he's always getting arrested, always beat up, always put down, always getting beaten, whipped, uh, uh, thrown in jail, uh, life is in danger, poor, uh, penniless, uh, uh, hungry, sleepless. I mean, he's, you know, uh, his life is a hard life. And so they're, they're looking at him, they're saying like, does this really make sense that this guy is an apostle of Jesus? Does it really look like he's experiencing the resurrection power of God in his life? He looks like a loser to us. And so you should trust us because look at us, we look much better. Our lives are much put together. And so last week we talked about this, how this would be a major theme for us, a topic as we go through is, is, is that how God uses hard times in our life. And so we learned last week is that as followers of Jesus, that we're called to share both in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So there's gonna be times when God's power is very evident in our life, but there's gonna be times we go through hard times, and what we learn is it's often in the hard times where God does his very best work in our lives, where he draws us to himself, he teaches us some deep lessons that we hard to learn any other way, that during those lives, he brings us to a place of surrender, and then he meets us, shapes us, transforms us, and then uh, through us prepares us to speak into others' lives who are going through hard times. So he's going to use us. And so last week we kind of unpacked that. We'll be coming back to that off and on throughout this series. But that was not the only issue that his critics were raising. Uh, one of the other issues had to do with his integrity. And so many of his critics were saying that Paul is not a man of integrity. You can't trust what he says. He doesn't keep his word. He's got ulterior motives. You've got to read between the lines. And so there was this criticism. And recently it had really come to a head because of a particular event that had happened in his life. And so I wanted to like, give you a brief overview of that event. And then we'll, we'll look, at, uh, look at the passage and see what he says. But here's what had happened. 
the Apostle Paul had written them a letter. Now, he was staying in Ephesus, which is to the east of Corinth, across the Aegean Sea, and it's right there in modern-day Turkey, kind of near, near the seaport. And so he, he writes them a letter. He says, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to travel. I'm going to sail across the ocean. I'm going to stop in and see you for quite a while at Corinth. I'm going to do a visit there. And then after that, I'm going to travel north to a region above you called Macedonia where I've started many churches. And I'm going to visit the churches there. And then after I'm done, I'm going to return back south and visit you a second time. And then uh, after that, I'll sail from there to Jerusalem. So that's what he'd written in the letter, right? But when he gets there to do this, uh, this kind of to meet with his church, he finds the church is in total disarray. These false leaders have come in. They've totally undercut Paul's authority. There's even a rogue leader who we'll read about next week who has risen to a place of authority. And so they've undercut Paul's leadership. It's a church in rebellion. It's like a major church split apart from the apostle Paul. Now, this is a really big deal because uh, it's not so much that Paul cares about what they think about him, his ego, his power. It's not about that. But he is a true follower of Jesus. He is an apostle of Jesus. Jesus has personally commissioned him and given him the message to bring. And so if they reject Paul and reject his message, they're really not rejecting Paul. They're rejecting Christ who sent him. And their whole spiritual life is in danger. And so throughout this letter, Paul is going to be forced to kind of defend himself. And so in this opening chapter, right away he needs to take this topic off the table because as long as they're questioning his integrity, there's no way they can trust his message. And so, so right here in chapter one, he's gonna jump in and talk about this event, why he did what he did, and, and, how, and it's gonna raise this issue of integrity in our lives as Christ followers and how important it is. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter one. We're gonna pick it up, I believe it's in verse 12. And uh, if you're here, you don't have your Bible, feel free to look on with, with someone who does. I'm sure they'd be happy to share it with you. And so here we go. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 12. Y'all there? We're there? I, got, I heard one yes. That's good. That's good. I'll just talk over here the rest of the time. It's you and I. Uh, here we go. Uh, so uh, verse 12. So here's our boast. He says, this is our, our claim. He says, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you, Corinthians, in the holiness and the sincerity that are from God. And so what he's saying is that, he says, I know that there's all these accusations on the table about our integrity. He says, you know, our conscience is completely clear. We, we have conducted ourselves in a way that's, that's holy, that's right, that's sincere with the world in general, but especially with you. And uh, he says, we've, we've done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. And so in this passage, a couple times, He's going to talk about worldly wisdom. And the idea here is, and you know this, you live out in culture, that the way of the world is manipulation, right? The way of the world is deceit. You see it all the time wherever you go to work. It's just, uh, it's, it's kind of, it permeates uh, a human society. And so what he's saying is that we didn't deal with you in that worldly way of manipulation or deceit, uh, but, we, but according to God's grace, his work, his power in our life. And so we, we says, for we do not write to you anything that you cannot read or understand. And so his critics are saying, you gotta read between the lines in his letters because he'll say one thing, but then he'll do another. And so he's got these ulterior motives. He says, no, it's not true. We're very straightforward in our letters. He says, and I hope that as you have understood us in part, in other words, in the past, you've partially understood 
uh, but you will come to now to understand fully that you can boast of us or be proud of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. So he says, you're Christ followers. We led you to Christ. Uh, We're excited about you and we're hoping you come to the place in your life you can understand that you can be as proud of us as we're gonna be proud of you when we stand before Jesus together when he comes back. And he says, verse 15, because I was confident of this, I was confident of our relationship, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. So he's going to these, these travel plans. My plan was to come to you first and then go north, right, and then come back to visit you twice. Verse 16, I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia, which was north of them, and then to come back to you from Macedonia on my way south, and then to have you send me on my way to Judea, which is where Jerusalem was. So that's the plan, right? So the plan was, I'm going to visit you, we're going to go north, visit the churches, come back, visit you a second time, and head up. But of course, but the plans change because the situation changes. So it's not an integrity issue, but when he gets there, there's this coup going on, a spiritual coup, and Paul could bring out his, like, his big guns, his apostolic authority, and blow them all away, but, but he realized he's going to tear the church apart. And so what he does, he kind of leaves with his tail between his legs very humbly, he just kind of walks away from the conflict. And what he's going to do, he's going to go back to Ephesus where he came from. So he doesn't go north to Macedonia and return a second time because he, he knows that if he does that, the hostility, the pain, is so great it's gonna blow this place up so because of his love for them he decides not to do that but to go back where he came from and when he gets there he writes to them a very painful letter where he calls them on the carpet calls them to repentance and the good news is they're gonna respond they're they're gonna repent they're gonna remove this rogue leader they're gonna come back for the most part under Paul's leadership but many of these critics are still there and so so the situation changed that's why he changed so in verse 17, he says, so when I planned this, did I do it lightly? In other words, was I, I just not taking this seriously? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner? There it is again, kind of a deceitful manner. So that in the same breath, I say yes, yes, and no, no. I'm just kind of very wishy-washy, talking out of both sides of my mouth at the same time. He says, verse 18, but as surely as God is faithful, and that's probably the most important statement we're going to look at today. So I'd like you to underline that. He says, as surely as God is faithful. So so this is going to be the idea today. That this God that we serve, this God who's called us to himself in Christ, is a God of extreme integrity. That he's a God who has never lied in the history of the world. He's a God who always tells the truth and he always follows through on his commitments. He always lives up to his values and he always keeps his promises. He's the ultimate promise keeper. And so what Paul's gonna say is, no, no, we are not living in a worldly way that as apostles of Jesus, we put all that behind us and we are living as men of integrity. We're kind of modeling our lives after the God that we serve. And so this is the core concept that we're gonna be getting at today. So he says, as surely as God is faithful, our message to you, and literally in the Greek it says our word to you, uh, our word to you is not yes and no. We're not talking out of both sides of our mouth. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy. And so if you were to go back to Acts 18, we have a record of when Paul first came to Corinth to share the message of Christ. He came first and then he was joined by Silas and Timothy. They were a three-man team. So he says, the, uh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, that Jesus, in other words, Jesus is not yes and no. Like Jesus is utterly reliable. You can trust him. And in him, it has always been yes. He always comes through. And then this very important statement, verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made. And so catch this, we're talking macro promises 
and micro promises. All right, so macro promises. You remember back at Christmas when we studied the series, The Invasion, and, and the promises God made throughout history to rescue our race. That, so, so in the Garden of Eden, remember Genesis 3, when we, when we rebel against God as a race, we come under the leadership of our great enemy, under, his, under his, uh, his power. Remember that God says, he promises that out of the seed of Eve, in other words, from, from her line, the human line, one will arise who will one day crush the serpent's head. Remember that? Uh, 3.15. And then you remember in chapter 12 of Genesis, when God appears to Abraham and says, if you trust me and follow me, that I will turn you into a great nation. And out of that nation, one will one day come who will bless the whole world. And then when you get to chapter 49, uh, we, we meet uh, his, uh, Abraham's son, uh, uh, grandson, Jacob, whose, later, whose name is later changed to Israel. And, and God promises him that through his fourth son, through the tribe of Judah, that one day a great king will arise to, who the whole world will obey. And then you get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we have this promise that from the, from the line of David, David will have a great son who will be not only the son of David, but a son of God who will rule the whole world. And so, so throughout history, God has made these promises that one day he will turn all wrongs to right. There will be a great deliverer who will come and restore all of creation back to what it's intended to be. So that's what I'm calling a macro promise, okay? That's a promise, a promise for all of creation, the whole race. But also then there's these micro promises, aren't there? That God reveals himself, for example, in Exodus 34 to Moses. He says, this is who I am. He kind of brands himself. He says, I'm a, I'm a compassionate God. I'm abounding in love and, and kindness. I'm slow to anger. That's who I am. But I also will hold the guilty accountable. And God, so God reveals himself. And so now throughout history, God always acts in accordance with that character. And he makes his promises. Like when David comes, like he is our refuge. He's our strength. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That God makes these promises. I'll, I'll provide all your needs. I'll never give you anything more than you can handle. That God gives all these promises he's given. I'll, I'll bring all your financial needs. That, that you'll, you'll, you'll trust me. That, that God has made all these promises, macro and micro. And what Paul is saying here is in verse 20, he says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. In other words, that through Jesus Christ, God is going to answer every promise. He's going to fulfill every promise he's ever made. And so in verse, uh, he says in the middle of it, he says, uh, and so through him, through Christ, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And so, so God makes a promise uh, to the human race. He fulfills that promise through Christ when you and I come to Christ, we, become, we inherit those promises. We begin to experience those promises. We understand how God is so faithful in our life. And so it happens. We begin to worship and praise him, right? Because God made the promise, fulfilled it through Christ. We're experiencing the promise. And so now we say amen, we, we, which is kind of a, a Hebrew word of agreement. Like in the synagogue, they would read scripture or, 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 or statements of praise. And they would all say amen. It was a way of of uh, affirming the truth of what was just spoken. We still do that today, don't we? Amen. Yeah, so, uh, and so, uh, so, so he says this, this, that's how it works. We've all entered into this. We all have experienced this God of integrity who keeps his promises. And so in verse 21, he says, now it is this God who makes both us, you know, as apostles, uh, and makes us and you as Corinthians and makes, he, he's the one who supernaturally enters into our life and he strengthens us so we can remain firm and continue to follow him. 
And then he says, he's anointed us, which is a picture of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. When a man or woman comes to Jesus, we're anointed with his spirit. So he anointed us, and then he set his seal of ownership on us. So in ancient times, when you would, uh, uh, you want to mark some property as your own, you'd take your signet ring, make a wax seal, you put that seal on there, it belongs to you. And so, so he says, uh, God's anointed us with his spirit as his children. He has, uh, he's put his sign on our life, his signet ring on our life that we belong to him. And now he goes on and he says uh, he's put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. Like if you're gonna buy a house, you put down a deposit to show you're serious, it's your promise that you're going to buy it. He's put down a deposit in our life guaranteeing what is to come. And so he says, so this God who makes promises always keeps those promises. We've experienced that already. We've received his spirit as the first down payment of that promise, but it's, it's only a deposit of all that God has planned for us in the future when Christ returns and restores all wrongs to right and recreates the whole cosmos, okay? And so, so it's a passage, this is a passage, it's about, really about Paul's travel plans. It's a passage that's, that comes about as a, re, a question of his integrity, but what it leads into is this incredible lesson about who God is and the calling on our life of who we're called to be as followers of Jesus. And so there on your note sheet, uh, what I want to do today is a couple things. Uh, first, I want to kind of give a big picture principle of how important this principle of integrity is in our lives as followers of Jesus and kind of lay that out and then secondly, come back and do a quick integrity check and see how we're doing. And so I'm going to ask some three very specific questions. I got to tell you today, I can almost guarantee that, that I'm going to step on some toes today, right? Because I'm two for two so far. Um, and so I, I am going to be pressing you today. I'm going to be pushing into your life, not, not by name, but, but I'm going to be pressing into your life because what we're going to see today, that this character quality of integrity is one of the most important character qualities of our life as Christ followers because it's who God is and it's who he's recreating us. And so I want to kind of lean into our lives because it's one of those areas where it's really easy to deceive ourselves and to think we're people of integrity when we're really not. And so we're going we're gonna to get very practical later in, and I'm going to ask you at that time to be very honest with yourself. But for now, let's just jump in. Integrity 101. Here, here's the big picture principle that, that flows out. is that for us as followers of Jesus, if you're sitting here today, you say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. Have you given your life to him? Yes, I've given my life to him. Have you trusted him for your personal salvation for all time and space? Ha- has that? Yes, I am. If you're a follower of Jesus, here's, here's the lesson that integrity for us is a non-negotiable, okay? That integrity is a non-negotiable. Like, are you a person who tells the truth? Are you a person who keeps your commitments? Are you a person who lives out the values of a Christ follower? That for us as followers of Jesus, that there's really no such thing as a follower of Jesus who doesn't take integrity seriously. It's not like an optional equipment on this life. It's like a core, uh, a core component. Does that make sense? Okay, now this is what Paul lays out. That, that uh, in this passage, there's this criticism brought against Paul. You are not a man of integrity. And what is Paul's response? He, he goes right to who God is. He says, let me, let me tell you, that's not true because as apostles, we, we follow this God of integrity. And, and so what he does is he begins to root his own personal integrity in who God is. And this is what I want you to catch today. 
If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to become a person of integrity because that's who he is. Like it's impossible to follow Jesus and not follow him in his integrity because you're making up a different Jesus. You see, it's it's not really there. Um, And so uh, what we'll see today is that Paul wants us to understand is this is who God is. That he's a God who always keeps his promises. He's a God who always tells the truth. He's a God that always keeps his commitment. He always lives out his values. And catch this, because of that, this is why we can have a relationship with him. Is that, like often we miss the connection between things, but do you understand it's integrity that allows you to build trust in a relationship. And without trust, it's impossible to do relationship well. Does that make sense? You've probably all been there. You've all been in a situation where you've either broken trust or someone's broken trust with you. And and it it may be a marriage, it may be a friendship, it may be a business relationship, but what, what happens when trust is broken in a relationship? It's like the whole thing falls apart, right? And so because, we, because God is a God of integrity, we're able to enter into relationship. Like, can you imagine what it would be like to, God, to, to have a relationship with God if every day he changed his mind? Right? Like one day he says, I, I don't care what you've done or where you've come from. I'm willing to forgive you. Right? You can, that's who I am. I'm a God of compassion. I'm a God that's abounding in love. I'm slow to anger. And so here's who I am. If you come and you truly surrender your life and you're willing to follow me, my gift to you is a gift of forgiveness as if it never happened. And I, and I promise you that, right? And so then you show up two weeks later and you've screwed up your life and you say, God, remember that promise. And you go, hey, just want to let you know, I changed my mind. I think you suck. I'm done with you. Like, I don't want you. I'm sick of you. Like, it's just one too many times. I know I said that, but I've changed my mind. Like, can you imagine a relationship with God, you see? Like, like, can you imagine a God who makes a commitment to you? I promise you, this is what I'll do. And then you get there, and he's like, you know what? It was just too expensive. It was just going to take too much time and energy. It was more than I really anticipated. And so that whole promise thing, uh, not so much. You know, maybe, maybe catch you next time, right? The reason we can have relationship with God is because he has absolute integrity. You can trust him. And so, so catch this. So when a man or woman comes to Christ, guess what God wants to create in our life? Right? Because you cannot love God well or love others well if you don't have strong integrity. And so when we come to Jesus, this becomes one of his top priorities. And what I want you to see here is how this is rooted in God. This is not arbitrary, like, oh, you should tell the truth. No, no, no. When you are not telling the truth, you are acting at opposite of God would act. You, you are out of step with who he is, and, and you're acting according to the old nature, not the, the new nature. In fact, uh, you know, in John chapter 8, Jesus calls the, the, our great enemy, he calls him the father of what? The father of lies, right? So, so when we come to Christ, we're stepping out of one kingdom that has worldly ways that is kind of normal to lie, normal to have deception, normal to have manip- manipulation, normal to have broken commitments, normal to have blown uh, uh, promises. It's normal to have, not live out our values. We come from that kingdom and we step into the kingdom of Jesus Christ that is a kingdom of integrity. You see what I'm saying? 
And so for the follower of Jesus, integrity is not an option. It is part of the core component of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. All right, so, so here's the problem, though. The problem and the challenge is that integrity is one of those areas where it's very easy to be self-deceived. Like, for example, if I were to ask you in this room, and I'm not, I'm not asking, but I mean, I am asking, but I don't want to show hands. That if I were to ask you how many of you would say that you're a person of fairly strong integrity, I could almost guarantee you that we would all raise our hands if we, if we were really asked the question. And the reason is, as human beings, we intuitively know how important this is. And, and so probably none of us who are here would say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm not so, I'm good at compassion, but my integrity, that just sucks. I'm just horrible with integrity. Because, because we couldn't handle it. Right, because there's gonna be a cognitive dissonance, this is what psychologists call it, there would be a cognitive dissonance deep inside of us that, that people don't, I mean, even like criminals will see themselves as people of integrity, you see? Even like hardened criminals, no, no, I'm a person of integrity, because we can't live with, and so what happens is it's easy to deceive ourselves, because in this area, here's what happened, we'll talk about it later. If you tell the truth most of the time, if you keep most of your commitments, if you often live out your values, then what happens is you will look at yourself through those examples and you will say, well, that's who I am. I'm a person of integrity. But what we're gonna learn today, and it's very core, and I want you to catch this, very core, is that the only way you know whether you have integrity or not is what you do in the hard times, okay? If you wanna know how much integrity you have, then tell me, do you tell the truth when it costs you? If you want to learn how much integrity you have, I want to know, do you keep your commitments when something better comes along? If, it, if you say how much integrity, do you live out your values consistently? That's what we're going to find out. That the only way you know how much integrity you have is when it's hard to do the right thing. Other than that, you really don't know much about yourself. And so what I want to do today is do a, a, a quick integrity check. And there on your note sheet, you have three questions. And we're just going to drill down. And again, I'm going to be as practical as I can because here's my big fear. My big fear is we could have an amazing message. We could all agree on this and we could go out and we all do our lives exactly the same. And, and so the reality is if I'm going to help you to change, then I need you to help, to help you take a deep and honest look at your life and I need to ask you to be radically honest with yourself as we go through here. And I'm going to be very pointed. I'm going to push. I'm going to cajole. I'm going to come at you, uh, not because I don't love you, because I do, right? Because my big fear is that we see ourselves as a person. And so what happens? We go, that was a great message. I hope so-and-so was listening. <laughs> now, and I also want to say this, that this is one of those messages this is what I call an elbows in message, okay? If you're sitting next to someone you know fairly well, this message is not for them, it's for you. And if we will all take that approach, I don't want to see any bleeding going on out there, all right? So, so here we go. You, you ready to go? You ready to go? You up for this? Okay, here we go. Number one, do you tell the truth always? <laughs> so like, no! She's like back there like, yes, I'm winning. No! Okay, so, so what, what's, the important, what's the most important word in this question? Always. Always. Can we say it again? Always. Always. Yeah, see, the question is not whether you tell the truth most of the time. 
The question is, do you tell the truth always? Now, someone said after the message last night, well, what about in Nazi Germany when they're hiding Jews? Hey, listen, if you're saving someone's life in Nazi Germany, go for it, lie. I'm all of that, okay? <laughs> but but that's, that's not like most of us, right? That's not most of the situation. All right, so, so do you tell the truth always? And so, so this is what we learn about God today, that this God that we serve, he's an absolute truth teller. Now, now let that sink in for a minute, that what the claim is, is that throughout all eternity, there is not one time where God has ever lied or misled someone. That it's not who he is. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section, which is a little verse from Titus, where the Apostle Paul actually describes God this way. He says, God who does not, what? Lie. He's just full on in integrity. And so here's the thing, that when we come to Jesus then, this is one of the first things he wants to work on in our life, that, that we would be people who speak the truth. And so, so when you come to Jesus, catch this, you, you step into a recreation process. That when you came to Jesus, he didn't just save you so you could go to heaven. He came to save you so you could be restored to be the person you were created to be. You could be like him. That's the process. Okay? And so, so we're going to see that. Like there in your note sheet, here's a verse from Colossians chapter 3. And the Apostle Paul is writing to these young Christ followers. He says, do not what? Do not lie to each other. So there's the topic. Because why? Because you've taken off your old self, like who you were before you came to Christ, and its practices. So we live in a fallen world where deception is a way of life. He says, when you come to Jesus, you need to change. He says, and so we've, we put on the new self, which is being what? Be, now underline it, it's being renewed. So here's what I want you to catch. When you came to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit came into your life. He, right, he anointed you, he came into your heart, the seal was put, and, and so you stepped into a recreation process where God is, he's at work in your life to transform you from the inside out to change you to become like Jesus. In fact, we're gonna, we're gonna hit this when we get to chapter three in 2 Corinthians. We got, what, a couple more weeks in this series, then we do Easter, and then we do a new series after Easter called The Power, the, the Power to Change. And, and so uh, in that series, what we're gonna learn is that when the Holy Spirit comes in, he begins to change us from the inside out and transform us to be like Christ. And so what, what, what he's saying here is that uh, we're being renewed in knowledge in the image of its what? Creator. So catch this language. So catch this language. In Genesis 1, we were, the human race was created in the image of God, right? We rebel against him, and so now we're, we're not like him. We are created to be like him. That's what it means in the in image. We're created to be like him in our character, but we're no longer like him as a race. Why? Because we rebel against him. We turn to the great enemy, the father of lies. We come under his influence, and so now our culture, our world, is a world of darkness. It's a world of deception. It's a world of lie. It's a world of manipulation. It's a world of broken commitments and broken promises and values that are not lived out, that's what this world is. And he says, as followers of Jesus, we want to, what God is doing, he's gonna recreate the image of God in our life. He's gonna make us like him again. And so, so one of the first areas, Paul says, is we're gonna start with integrity. He says, do not lie uh, because you've taken off your old self with his practices, you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator, okay? So, so the question is, that in your life, how are you doing in this area of integrity? Do you tell the truth? And, and the, of course, the key word's always. And so here's how we deceive ourselves. 
as I was mentioning before, this is one of those areas because I would guess that most of us in this room, maybe not all of us, but most of this room probably tell the truth most of the time. In fact, I, I would guess if you're a follower of Jesus, probably at least 90% of the time you tell the truth. In fact, I would guess that for some of us in the room, you'd probably be 95%, 97%. Now that's a lot of time, isn't it? And so here's what happens. Because we tell the truth 97% of the time, we see ourselves as a truth teller. And therefore, whenever we don't t- tell the truth, we reinterpret that through the lens, but I'm a truth teller. And so what happens, we rationalize this, and so now we think we have integrity, but the reality is you only know how much integrity you have when it costs you something. So so let me get as specific as I can right now, and this is where I want to begin to meddle intentionally, because I, I want to get as specific as I can. I want to throw out four key words, all right? Four key words, just as illustrations. There could be 15, there could be six. I just chose four because that's all I have time for. But number one, the first word is the word trouble. I want you to write down the word trouble. So what I'm asking is, do you tell the truth when you know for sure or there's a good chance that it will get you into trouble? Okay? Are we all clear on this? Now we're talking integrity. Do you tell the truth when you know or have a good idea that by telling the truth, it will get you into trouble? Say it again, get us into trouble. Now that's what I wanna know from you. If you tell the truth most of the time, it tells me nothing about your integrity. If you will tell the truth when it gets you into trouble, now I know something about you. Right? And so from the time we're little kids, this is what we learn, right? This is why we start lying. Because there is something that, oh, if I tell the truth, I'm going to get in trouble. So, so let me ask you something. If you're a husband, you're married, do you tell your wife the truth when she asks you a question if you know it will get you into trouble? Okay. Now wives, when you go shopping... And your, wife, and your husband asks you, where did all the money go? And what you spend it on, do you tell him the truth if you know it's going to get you into trouble? Okay, so, so now, do you understand what we're doing now? We're taking this concept up here and we're getting very practical. When you're on the job and your boss asks you a question, if you were to tell him the truth, it would get you into trouble. Do you tell him the truth? When you fail on the job, do you, were you willing to admit that and own that? Are we going to blame it on someone else so you don't get into trouble you see when your kids ask you a question or you know like it's going to get you into trouble see what I want to know is in your life do you tell the truth when it gets you into trouble that's where you're going to find out how much integrity you don't find it out other than I said that you tell the truth when it costs you nothing like well who wouldn't right but do you tell here's the second word the second word is the word promises Now, in a moment, we're going to talk about keeping promises. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about making promises. So there's two sides of a promise, right? You make a promise and you keep a promise. So I'm talking about the making side. And have you ever been tempted to make a promise you know you will not fulfill? Right? So, so, hey, when do you need that part by? Oh, Tuesday. We'll have it there. And you know there's not a chance that it could ever get there by Tuesday, but you're afraid if you, if you don't come through by Tuesday, you're gonna lose this deal. 
And so, so you're going you're gonna to knowingly make a promise you know you can't keep. You're essentially going to lie so that you can have a chance to fight another day. You're afraid that if you, it's just something true, right? So do you make promise? Do you, do you ever tell your kids, you have little kids, they're having a bad day. You say, make a, if you're good today, I'll take you to Disneyland. <laughs> All right. And you're just hoping that they're going to forget about that promise, yeah, which they don't. Which they don't. What they do is 30 years later, they're on a therapist's couch talking about you. My dad always made promises. So do you make promises you can't keep? Here's a third, a third word. The third word is conflict. This is one of the best places to find out how much integrity you have is in the midst of conflict, will you lie or change truth or do revisionist history in order to win the argument? Okay? Now this happens in marriages all the time. Right? Is that you're in the midst of uh, your midst uh, of uh, uh, argument in your marriage, a fight, and one of the, the keys to a healthy marriage is you have to learn to fight fair, right? And one of the marks of fighting fair is you never misrepresent the truth. But it's so tempting, isn't it? That in the midst of you exaggerate, well, you always do this. No, you don't really always. Well, no, it was three times. Okay. Those seem like a lot. Was it always? No, but it, it's kind of, it seemed like it was always. You see, so is, is that really true? You, did it, you, hey, when we were at your mother's house, this is what you said. Like, you don't even remember what she said. But at the time, it seems like a good idea to, you know, this might win the argument. You see what I'm saying? Uh, you're, you're getting in trouble working. So, so during times of conflict, do you hold on to the truth or do you bend it or twist it or make it up? A uh, fourth word would be finances. Uh, you know, it, like it, uh, we, we talked later about, like, uh, earlier about what you spend. And, and so it comes that time of the month where you, as a, if, you, if you're married, where you're talking about how much you spent that much. And, and so where did the money go? And you're like, whoa, I have no idea. You know, you know exactly where it went. You spent $400 on lunches. You know, but, but it's like, oh, I don't know. It's just like, wow, so, you know, things are just really going up these days. You know, uh, so, so, so there it is, right? There's, there's a like, uh, uh, we're coming to tax season. Just kind of a basic thing. How much did you make? How much were your real uh, deductions? Some of you are in business and you have professional expenses or travel expenses. Do you pad the account or do you, do you accurately report what were you actually spent? You know, how much mileage it was or whatever. You see, these are all questions of what do we do? Not do we tell the truth in general, but do we tell the truth uh, always? And, and can I tell you something? It's this ability to tell the truth always that creates trust in relationships. Because here's the thing, if I know that you will tell me the truth, even when it gets you into trouble, guess what happens? Your, my trust, the trust in that relationship goes through the roof, doesn't it? Right? Like, like if, I, if I ask Lynn a question and she tells me, she tells me that she knows it's going to get her in trouble, or vice versa, and we speak the truth, even though we know it's going to, that what happens? The trust goes through the roof in that relationship. I was in a, a, a meeting a while back, and, and they were discussing uh, a situation that happened, a certain person and their, their gifts and capacity, and there was one person in that meeting that, that it was friends with the person we were discussing, their, their capacity, and, and this person spoke up, and the question was, my, my, can, can she really be objective? Can she tell the truth about this person because they're close friends? And she spoke up, and she spoke the truth, and I stopped the whole meeting. Uh, there were several, I said, I want to stop the meeting, time out, cultural value here for us at Rocky Peak. Your stock just went through the roof of my eye because you told the truth in a difficult situation. You see? And this is what happens in all of our lives, isn't it? When we're in trouble and you tell the truth, 
what happens is your credibility goes through the roof. And what it does is it puts a warm blanket of trust over that relationship. And now that relationship can, can thrive because whatever you're working through, you know that person won't lie to you. You know that they will own what, what they've done. And let me tell you this. There are times in your life, like with the Apostle Paul in this passage, he had lived with these people for a year and a half. His critics could say what they wanted about his lack of integrity, his lying, his manipulation. But over and over in this letter, he's going to say to them, you know who I was. I was there. And there are times in your life and mine when all you will have is your word. There are times in your life when you will be slandered or lied against or there'll be questions about you and all you are gonna have, you're not gonna be able to prove it and all you're gonna have and your whole life is gonna be writing on it is to say, I'm telling you, this is the truth. You know me, trust me. And I'll tell you, at those moments is when integrity pays off, right? And so the question is, not do you tell the truth in general, but do you tell the truth always? And I, there was an author named Cheryl Beale. I love how she puts it there in your note sheet. One of the realities of life is that if you can't trust a person at all points, you can't trust him or her on any point. And isn't that true? Isn't that true? The moment someone lies to you, from that point on, it's just hard to get over it. Like, Okay, well, can I, tr I know what they're saying, but can I trust them, even if it's on an unrelated issue? Now, number two, the second question, and again, I'll continue pushing in because I'm sure that was very comfortable. Uh, number two, uh, number two, do you keep your commitments even when they cost you? Do you keep your commitments when they cost you? So one of the things we, we learn about God is that God is a commitment keeper, that he has never made a commitment, that he has not followed through. He never made a promise he didn't keep. In fact, this is Paul's point in 2 Corinthians 1.20, where we look today, for no matter how many the promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. That, that, that God is the ultimate promise keeper. He doesn't make commitments and then not, not follow through. But once again, this is very easy to deceive ourselves. Because again, if you keep many commitments in your life, if you keep most of your commitments in your life, what we tend to do is reinterpret the rest of our life through those successes and see ourselves on high integrity when the reality is we don't have that high of integrity. Like, let me give you an example. We started the day with the story of JD and I in Atlanta, right? So it's nine o'clock at night. I head down there, go to the desk, having this conversation. The desk clerk looks it up and says, you know, and again, beautiful, classy place, right? It's a beautiful, classy place. They should have their act together. And so, so the, he looks it up and says, you know, we don't have the reservation. Well, actually we do, but it's for a hotel room six blocks away. And so I ask him, like, what are you talking about? Like, I made this reservation personally six, eight weeks ago, whatever it was, and I have the confirmation of here. What are you talking about? You don't have my room for my, for my friend. And so he begins to go in this explanation. I can tell he's a little put out. I'm sure he's had this conversation before. And he's had this conversation. He's kind of, kind of looking at me like, oh, you're from California. You probably don't know how this works back here. Uh, he's, just, he's looking kind of smug. He's looking kind of superior, which is soon about to end. But, um, <laughs> but, but he, he's just kind of, he's doing this thing, right? And so he's explained to me, okay, well, here's how it works. Is, I'm like, how could that be? I have a reservation. How could you not have a room? Well, we've run out of rooms. Well, what do you mean you ran out of rooms? I mean, that's why you make a reservation, so you don't run out of rooms. Like, like what do you think a reservation is? You know? And so we're having this conversation, very, very nice, because I uh, might know I'm a pastor. So uh, <laughs> we're having this conversation, 
uh, about this room situation. And he says, well, here's how it works. Uh, here's how it works is that, uh, and he's going to explain this as if I'm an idiot. And like, this is just how life works. He, he, he says, well, you know, we, we have people, clients who come in and they have rooms here. And so uh, if they say they booked it for like two nights and now it's the end of two nights, but they decide they want to stay in Atlanta for a couple more nights since they're already here, we, we go ahead and extend that courtesy. And so they get their room. And so sometimes that happens, we run out of rooms. And I said, so let me get this straight. So you took the room that I reserved and you gave it to someone who didn't have a reservation. Is that right? And all of a sudden, his face goes blank and he realizes how ridiculous this sounds. <laughs> right? Uh, so you took the room that I reserved and paid for two months ago and you gave it to someone else who didn't have a reservation. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so you took my room <laughs> that I bought and you gave it to someone else who had no right to that room. Is that, yes, and he's just kind of getting, you know, wider. And so uh, the thing was, up until that point, here's the point, up until that point, this whole system made perfect sense to him, right? It made perfect sense, like I was the idiot. I just couldn't get this, but it made perfect sense. And, and so we can look at a story like that and we say, that's crazy, right? Like how many would agree, that's crazy. That's, that's okay, most of you, okay, the rest of you are crazy. Uh, the, yeah, the, the, you look at it, you go, that's crazy, but you know what? We do the very same thing in our lives. That often this is what we do. We make a commitment and then we don't follow through, but to us it makes perfect sense. And so here's what happens. We make a commitment, but when we make the commitment, then after we make it, one of two things happens. Either a better opportunity comes along or the price of keeping the commitment goes up, okay? So here's what happened. We make a commitment, we intend with all of our hearts to keep that commitment. It's not like we're making a promise, we intend to keep it, but then when we get there, we, something better has come along or the price tag of keeping that commitment is more than we anticipated. And so the way our mind does this judo jujitsu thing is that, you know what, when I made that commitment, I didn't realize how much it was going to cost me. And therefore, I didn't really commit to this. I committed to that. And therefore, I'm free to break that commitment because this is something different than what I committed to. This makes sense? And we do this all the time. Now, let me, let me say this. I, 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 would, I, would, I would say there are times, obviously, when life changes. And like the Apostle Paul's situation, he was planning to go there twice, right? But when he gets there, the situation had blown up, blown up, and he realizes that if he does, he's going to tear the church apart. And so out of love for them, he changes his plans. And that happens in life. You may, you may pl uh, plan, promise your wife, hey, this summer, uh, I'll take you to Europe. And, and then next month, you lose your job. Right? So situations change, and the capacity to even meet that commitment changes. I, I get that, but that's not what normally happens in our life. What normally happens is we make a commitment, we just don't realize what the cost could be, then we get there and we don't want to pay it. So, so let me ask you this, like in your life, when you're dealing, let me, let me just roll practical, uh, in, your, in your life, 
uh, when you make a commitment, let's start with friends. When you make a commitment to a friend, do you keep that commitment? Like, like do you have a reputation with your friends? If you say you show up at a party, you're going to show up. If you say you're going to call, you call. If you say that you'll, you'll be there for them, you're there for them. I mean, that you make, you, do your friends know that you are reliable? Is, is that the reputation that you have? Let's talk about it in, in like a family situation, in marriage. As a spouse, does your husband or wife, do they know that when you promise them something, take it to the bank? It, you might as well cash it. It's good. That is a check that's a good check. You're, you don't bounce checks in the area of commitments. You write it, you pay it. You know, one of the great uh, gifts of my life is having two parents who are just full-on high-integrity people. And, and so for me, it was such a gift growing up and seeing a man and woman like model this for me. Now, some of you, you weren't gifted like that. You, di- you didn't have that gift. Some of you grew up in totally crazy situations where promises were never kept, values were never lived out. But, but in my family, I, I got to see this lived out. If my dad told me something, take it to the bank. If he makes a commitment, it's going to happen. I see this modeled for me my whole life, right? And, and so a tremendous advantage. For some of you, you didn't grow up in situations, and so you're going to have to find some other models in your life. You're going to say, you know what? The way I've done my life, is, it's wrong. I had a young man come up to me last night. It, it was amazing. A young man, he's about 20 years old. He said, man, you rocked my world tonight. I said, tell me about that. He said, I, I've got a major integrity, but I never realized it. And so I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, I'm all jacked up. That's a quote. I'm all jacked up. <laughs> and so we, we, we began to explore. So he began to talk about relationship with his girlfriend, how it's fallen apart. He'd never seen the relationship between his lack of truth-telling and the, way, the impact of that. He had never seen it. And I said, man, this is an amazing day in your life because from this day on, God's going to be able to be into some, so do something amazing in your life and build some incredible relationships because, because in this day, you're having the guts to admit the truth about yourself. And in this day, Jesus is going to be able to do something powerful in your, your life, Right? And it's so easy to miss this. And so like in your, in your life, in your family, if you're married, your kids, do your kids know that if you say something, you're good for it? That you keep your commitments. If you say you'll be at their game, you're gonna be at their game. Now, I understand, I'm not, I'm not being crazy here. I understand life happens, there's things beyond our control. I get that, but you know what I'm talking about. If you say I'm gonna be there, that's, are you gonna be there? If you say we're going to take a trip this summer, do you take that trip this summer? Like, at, do your kids know that about you? You write checks, you cash checks. Your, your checks of commitment are good. On, on the job, is your reputation on the job that you can be fully trusted, you are reliable? That when you say you'll come through, you come through. When you say you'll be there, you'll be there. Is that your reputation? Are you a commitment keeper on the job? You see, it goes to the heart of what it means to be a Christ follower. Let me, let me give you another example. Uh, here at Rocky Peak, I see this all, all the time. Is that like, well, think, think of our life groups, right? So life groups, the core of our church. And so when you join a life group, by definition, you sign up. You say, I, I will be here. I'll be here for the 10 weeks. Uh, I, I really, there's times I'll be sick. There's times that I, I may have to work that night. There, there are times where we may have great friends from the East Coast that come in there here only one night. I get all that right? But, but in general, we're saying that, that if something big isn't happening, that I will be here and I will come prepared. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a small group here at Rocky Peak where that's not the case? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Have you ever been in a group where there's two or three people, you just never know when they're coming or if they're coming? They don't come prepared. You know, are you one of those people, right? You see, see men and women, we, we gotta be better than this. We are Christ followers. We, we are people of integrity. That's our calling. Say what we mean, mean what we say, keep our commitments. This is who we're called to be. I, I see here sometimes in our children's ministry, you know, we, our children's ministry, one of our very top priorities here at Rocky Peak, man, we love your kids, and, and we are working hard to create an amazing experience, and it's gonna get even better and better in the coming months and years. But it's just a high priority. We, we wanna create an environment where kids can become passionate Christ followers at their own kind of age level, appropriate ways, whatever, that, that they pursue Christ. So we are working hard, and so one of that, you wanna staff a room well, right? You don't want 25 kids and two workers. It's gonna be chaos. And so you staff it well. You have four people there, right? And then how many times do I hear back after a weekend that like there was two workers in a room with 25 kids, and I'll ask, what happened there? And they'll say, the people never showed up. Well, what, what happened? We don't know. They never called. And I just like want to pull my heart out. Not my heart out, my hair out. You know, <laughs> that was an exaggeration. I got to tell the truth. Uh, heart stays in. Pull my hair out. I'm going, what is going on here? We're a church of Christ followers. If you can't keep a commitment to show up at Sunday school to raise kids for Jesus, what are you doing in the rest of your life? Right? Like, what's, what are you doing at work? What are you doing? Like, man, we got to be better than this. We follow Jesus, and integrity is one of his top priorities. And so do you keep your commitments even when they cost you? Amen? Amen. All right, number three. Just real quick, the third question is, do you live your values consistently? Do you live your values consistently? One of the things, if you study the life of Jesus, is that one of his highest values was integrity. In fact, one time, he was even, uh, uh, some of his enemies came to him trying to trap him, and one of the first things they said is, hey, we know you're a man of integrity. Uh, everything else they could accuse him of, but the first, uh, we know you're a man of integrity. So in light of that, we're gonna ask you a tough question, okay? So, 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 uh, so Jesus is a man of integrity, and one of the things he values most, like Jesus doesn't care where you're coming from. He doesn't care how, like, how messed up you are. He doesn't care how far from God you are. Uh, the more messed up, the better, as far as he's concerned. He, he just, like, let's get you here, let's get you healed. He compares himself to a doctor, right? I, I came for the sick. So, so that's not a problem, but one, the biggest problem that Jesus had, he didn't have time of day for people who were hypocrites. People who claimed to be one thing pretending to be another, okay? And so, so there on your note sheet, you see this in, in Matthew 23, he said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you religious leaders, you what? You hypocrites. Why? Because he, he turns to his men, he says, don't do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach, right? And so as followers of Jesus, we're called to be people who live out our values consistently. Now, not perfectly, we're going to fail, but when we fail, we own that. But as you look at the, our life, our, there should be a genuineness that between what we're, we're, we're preaching, what we're calling people to do, and what we're doing. There has to be some alignment there. And so the question is, do you do that? Now, if you go to non-believers today, and you ask them, why don't you want to go to church? Why don't you want to become a Christian? Why don't you like Christians? What's the number one thing they're going to say? Because Christians are what? Hypocrites, right? And you know what? When someone tells me that, I usually say, you know what? You're right. Now, that's a sad state of affairs, right? 
That's a sad state of affairs. But, but we've got a whole culture that thinks because you went forward at a meeting or raised your hand one time, you're somehow a Christian, and you're not even following Jesus. There's nothing about your life that aligns with Jesus, and that here he is, this man of integrity who calls it, and there's no integrity in your life, and you're not living out those values at all, and yet you think you're a believer, right? I think there's going to be a lot of people shocked when he comes back. There's going to be a lot of people saying, Lord, Lord. He's going to say, hey, I never knew you. Why? Because you didn't do the will of my Father. Right? You can't even tell the truth. You can't even keep your commitments. Like, how do you say you're following me when there's just so little integrity in your life? And so, so the question is, are we living out our values? Is there some alignment between what we say we believe and what we really believe and what we really, really do? And, and so as we, we, we come to this chapter today, then here's the question for us then. The question for us is as followers of Jesus, as followers of this amazing God who is so faithful and so true and so full of integrity, are we allowing him, as a church in your life, are we allowing him to transform us and to recreate us so we can be like our creator again? Are, are we people that are learning how to tell the truth even in the hard times, even, even when it costs us? Are we learning to keep our commitments even when the price tag goes up? Are we learning to live out our values even when they're not popular, right? It's what integrity is all about. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful for what you do in our lives and, and we're so incredibly thankful for your word because it's like this, this homing beacon. It's like this, like this north star that's constantly calling us back, showing us the way to this new life you've called us to. And today, Lord, this topic on the table of integrity, we are so thankful that you are a God of integrity. You're so faithful, you're so true. And because of that, we can trust you. And because of that, our lives have been transformed. And so our prayer is, that you would change us to be like you. And in this moment, God, where I'm sure for many of us, we're, we're um, in a place of conviction, a, a place of, wow, we need to grow. God, thank you that you are a God of compassion, that you do forgive us and you do restore us and that you, you heal us again. And so we confess our sins, Lord, if we've been unfaithful and we pray that you would renew us to a whole new standard. We pray, God, that as we move into worship and as we take our offering, we pray that you'd use these gifts to create a place. This is integrity central, a place where people can come to trust in you because they've experienced in our lives a faithfulness that reflects you. We pray this in your name, amen. Would you stand with me as we worship? Hey, well, it's been great being with you today, and I'm looking forward to next week. You know, there's sometimes we go through hard times in our life that um, are really outside our control, but uh, sometimes we go through hard times because we do really stupid things. Ever been there? Yeah. And, and sometimes we get so stupid that, that we are like heading down a path of destruction, and we just can't even see, you know, the signs going, you know, don't not enter, danger, you know, Will Roger, like, don't, don't come this direction. And so uh, uh, next week, we're going to talk about that. Like, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, living in community with other followers of Jesus, like here at Rocky Peak, and, and where does the role of a kind of accountability and discipline work into our life to help us stay on track so that we experience the life God has for us? And so we're going to have a great time to 
together as we talk about these topics of accountability, discipline, the part it role plays in our, our lives as Christ's followers. So I hope you can be with us. Until then, uh, may the God of Jesus Christ, the God of our Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, the God of all compassion, and the God who always keeps his promises, everyone, the God who always tells the truth, the God who never makes a, makes a commitment he doesn't keep, the God who always lives out his core values, and a God who always fulfills his promises. May that God be your God this week, and may he inspire you to trust in him, be transformed so you could be like him. And until next week, I'll see you then. God bless. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>